This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Hello, Sam. How's it going? You've got your good T-shirt on. Yeah, my colonised AF T-shirt. <laughs> hey, but do you know what I've noticed is that you've got a very summery-looking shirt on, which is weird because you live in Dunedin. Summer has arrived at Sawyer's Bay. Oh, that's really good. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> I can hear the ocean heating up from here. <laughs> this weekend. This weekend I'm going in. Oh, that sounds horrific. <laughs> it does a bit. Yeah. <laughs> and we are joined from Otago Polytech in North Dunedin by Finn Boyle. Kura Finn. Good Sam. Hey, my brother. How's it going at work today? Oh, it's been lovely. The birds are chirping and the blossoms are blooming and I've been having people to froth out about compost with, so it's been a good morning. So how has your bubble life been? Bubble life. Uh, Bubble life has been a whole mixture of odds and sods, especially odd given the kind of slight bursting of our bubbles in Dunedin over the last couple of months. Um, but largely lovely. I've really, really enjoyed, um, especially in the in the depths of lockdown, just having so much time with my whanau and uh, at home in the space and in the garden. It's really, really lovely. Where were you? Ah, in my home in Opoho. Um, up on the hill in Otipoti, and uh, yeah, it's a flat with three other people, so pretty small little crew, but um, very, very lush. And did you manage to get some work done? <laughs> in the midst of lockdown? Yeah. Uh, basically, no. <laughs> um, I went into it thinking, oh, this will be an amazing opportunity for, you know, finish all the projects, do all the things, pick up the hobbies, uh, yeah, tie up loose ends, and pretty quickly realised I was utterly incapable of any of that uh, and lost motivation in a way I have not in years and years and years and came to grips with what it means to be not a very busy person, which is a pretty major part of my identity, really, so... Losing that uh, turned out to be incredibly destabilizing. In a good way? Uh, maybe in a good way. I don't know if I'd put good in front of it. <laughs> I'd probably put in a uh, 
constru- maybe not constructive either, in a way that was maybe learn an awful lot for sure. Um, I had to come to grips with who I am if I'm not the person who's real busy doing all that stuff. Um, but it also gave me the chance to strip back a lot of layers of kind of myself and see them a little bit more clearly and come to grips with that identity more. So, no, I don't know if I'd say good, but certainly learned a whole lot. When we talked to you last over on Sustainable Lens, you were getting underway with a composting project. Is that underway? Aye. Yeah, yeah, it's very underway. Um, so, yeah, for people that didn't know, it was a composting project working with Otago Polytech here on campus in Dunedin. And we are building a new facility on the campus to process all our organic waste, and um, which is kind of scaling up and um, revitalizing some of the systems that have been really well established on the campus for about a decade now. And this is fully underway. So we're, we're still building and still prototyping and developing, but um, we've increased capacity and testing new systems. And uh, the new site is just every day, it's getting more and more active and alive and capable. What I love about that project is that you didn't take the, the easy option or you didn't take necessarily the most efficient option. You took the option that would would optimise in terms of both efficiency, but also about engaging and and educating. Hi, yeah, I got to say, now that I'm a year deep into <laughs> trying to implement a very idealistic image of what it means to not take the easy way, um, <laughs> there's definitely little bits that I kind of wish I had taken the easy way out of. Um, it's turned out to be incredibly challenging and... Uh, more complicated than I thought. I knew it would be complex, uh, but I hoped it wouldn't be this complicated. But uh, it turned out to be very complicated. Lots of bureaucracy, lots of reporting and box ticking and all sorts of things to get through here. But we have also done a whole lot with students. You know, so much of this uh, facility and, and project at large has been done through students, whether those are mechanical engineers or product designers or communication and art students and um, yeah, getting a chance to really collaborate with them in a meaningful way and have a tangible project that they can um, contribute to and see them, you know, their, their mark on the campus around them. It's been amazing. So it was a lot of fun. Incredibly difficult. But and your site, is, your site is sort of tucked away, but it's also on a, a main street, but it's between food design and the hall which is an interesting mm-hmm. you know, place for it to be connected to those you know, two, not just sites of food, but people engaged in food. But mm. also they put prefabs on right beside you. Who is it that's gone into the prefabs? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of bizarre that we had this, we were planning on getting the site for maybe like a year or so before we finally moved in. And as we were doing the initial groundworks on the site, uh, Suddenly, there was this need for new a new place to put new um, classrooms, and so within about three months, they popped up like four enormous big prefab block classrooms um, right next to us. And uh, it's primarily the foundation studies students who are using those rooms. But yeah, I got to say, it feels a bit a bit uh, kind of crappy sometimes. Where you know we chose this block because it was out of the way in many ways. 
because um, as much as I might love the smell of compost, a lot of people don't find it that alluring. Uh, and then a whole bunch of foundation studies students are now uh, plopped right next to it. And um, yeah, it just doesn't feel very kind of courteous or respectful to them, you know, especially a lot of people uh, coming back into education for the first time in a long time or maybe giving um, that formal education another go, uh, maybe where they haven't really um, committed themselves to that before. And then they're stuck next to a compost heap. Have you, I think it's great, but some of them are not into it. Have you managed to engage them? Uh, somewhat, but not much yet. And that is something I uh, really kind of kick myself for each day that I have not reached out very well. But great conversations as they're uh, talking crap and smoking ciggies on the side of it. I get to talk shit about compost with them, so that's fun. Let's take the first of your music uh, selections. Uh, let's have uh, Trinity Roots, just like you. Why this one? Ooh, uh, I have been going through my Masters of Professional Practice stuff lately, review of learning thing, and a lot of that is very, very, very personally reflective. And this is a song which has always made me think and challenged me a little bit of, um, yeah, Thinking a little bit more about myself and, and light of other people. Then judge the one next door. You should know that they just like you. Messing blood and soul just like you. Walls and walls and things can find you. Both will grow and change and move. Just like you know, just like you know, just like you know, just like you know. You can't judge the ones behind you. Not the same, the same ambition. Maybe not the same direction. Yet to find their motivation. Yet they may be close behind you. Got to say they could be like you, like you, like you. Said they could be like you, 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 Can't 
can compare yourself Cause you ain't here to find another Kiyokoha, my friend Kiyokoha, my friend Kiyokoha, my friend Be strong. Here, Kaha, my friend. Why do you think New Zealand has been so strong in the pandemic response? Oh, that's a giant question. Oh, mixture of things. I think it's that like we have been really quick to jump to very obvious uh, things like effective leadership in government um, and saying like that's why we've got uh, such a good response there. And I think it's absolutely a major part of it. But I think it's far more kind of complex than that. And I don't think there's any one or even a few reasons or you know things within Aotearoa that we can point to and say that's why we've um, kind of thrived in a, in a sense through this. I think it's far more like we just have a whole bunch of these patterns that have tied together and uh, our COVID response is a sort of emergent property of that very complex web of weird interacting things. You know, Yes, we have very effective government. That's been amazing, uh, a government which is valuing people as well as um as well as economic processes um but then we're also a tiny island in the middle of nowhere and we don't have any borders uh it's very easy to lock people out when you want to it's very hard for anyone to swim here uh i think we have a such a low density of population that it makes you know like our recent outbreak uh even when it happens in our most popular city it's still relatively easy to um kind of get a handle on that and trace it and i think we also just have a, a culture that lends itself to social movements and social responses um and yeah have a little bit more care and compassion than some other sort of pakeha states you know, look at america and you know, not see that kind of culture existing as widespread as it does throughout Aotearoa. So you're doing your master's of professional practice. How's that going? Uh, it is going similar to what I described uh, my lockdown experience <laughs> as. I wouldn't exactly call it good or fun, but uh, very rich. <laughs> um, it's I not compost. Have, oh, it is. it is. In fact, actually, I woke up this morning and like the the only thoughts kind of coming through my head uh, were all about how I need to tie my writing into just one big compost metaphor as a great way of, um, yeah, laying it all out, <laughs> what's been going on. <laughs> so it is compost. Ideas compost, Sam. They drop seeds, in the words of Nora Bateson. Um, and it has been a composting process. I've been turning over the great compost heap of life and figuring out what's you know what's been dying inside and uh what sort of nurturing and nourishing things have uh risen out of it from all of my my waste over the years so what are you focusing on 
in terms of the actual research? Yeah. Research, still not very defined yet, but uh, right now, following my nose, I am really interested in applying and practicing um, the deep adaptation framework, which is a sort of framework for institutional and social responses to climate change and climate collapse. Um, and it's a framework which was originally developed by Jim Bendel, who's a British um, sort of corporate sustainability thinker. And you're going to have to give us Deep Adaptation 101. True. Deep Adaptation 101. We could be in a very different place, and by different place I mean be able to respond very differently and perhaps far more effectively to the challenges that climate change is likely or is already bringing upon us. If we can go through a psychological and emotional process of accepting that it's entirely possible that we will face uh, climate, ecological and social collapse. Um, in fact, it might not just be possible, uh, it might be likely, uh, and maybe it actually is already occurring uh, on some level. And that if we can feel into what it's like to acknowledge that and uh, maybe accept those truths, then we can come to respond very, very differently um, to the challenges that climate change uh, arises for us. How do we avoid the problem that we've faced for a long time that we know that starting with doom doesn't necessarily work? That, that you know, we all know the pictures of the polar bears on the, the, the small ice block. It doesn't actually prompt us into actually into action. How do we how how do we acknowledge the the situation we're in, but also maintain a a positive uh, action based perhaps mindset? Hmm. I think the core kind of difference here is that uh, a deep adaptation framework and, and the whole kind of dialogue, international dialogue that has stemmed from it, comes from a place of acknowledging the deep emotional challenge and work needed uh, to to enter into that kind of headspace um, that and, and that that differs from images of polar bears on melting uh, ice blocks in that those images are primarily used through massive media with corporate interest, and they are primarily about getting views, you know, hooking someone, tapping into that basic central nervous system, oh shit response, and uh, having them just respond in some way. Whereas deep adaptation and the dialogue within it is about inviting people into a social, socially held, emotional process which allows us to actually acknowledge what might be going on so uh, this conversation about deep adaptation should never 
be held purely within um, how should our institution respond to this thing, but should always be accompanied by how do you feel about this? What's going on when we um, actually consider these things? We normally ask people what we can learn from the the pandemic response for for climate change, for those intergenerational things, climate change, social justice and so on. And I'm, I'm going to ask that. But first, if we look at it the other way around, what can we learn for how we deal with a pandemic from how we deal with, with climate change, perhaps in this, this deep adaptation framework you're talking about? Ooh, that's a good question. Flipping them around. Uh, I would point to the, the the disconnects and roadblocks which have emerged um, in some kind of subcultural movements internationally uh, in response to pandemic stuff. So uh, a lot of people have noticed an enormous bloom in um, what I'd call kind of conspiracy thinking and conspiracy theory and communication around those kind of ideas. Um, and that I think is a, an example of how not to handle something like climate change. We're in, um, if we, well, sorry, yeah, is it, that, that is a parallel, right? If we, we can tell ourselves stories of the, uh, conspiracy of climate change or we can tell ourselves stories the conspiracy of um of covid and fundamentally i think both of those are meta narratives which either try to put a person and a, a, a person who we can point to in power at the center of a problem or they uh, try to say oh no this thing is actually not existing at all and it's purely a um, you know, mind control device to try to get us to behave or respond in some certain way. And uh, much the same as deep adaptation is not asking people to move into despair or fear or um, or into a panicked response. Uh, deep at a, a, we can see how we can learn from that within COVID as well of if we respond in a way which is considering the facts, which is communicating with each other and realizing that actually, yeah, it's incredibly scary to go through a global pandemic that we might have an emotional response to that from that place, then we can begin to actually do something about it in a much more constructive way. I think one of the, the good outcomes of the pandemic is that it has shown the systems, that the, the, how connected the systems are particularly the, the the health system and the economic system um, that that makes it easier for then for us to talk about the connection between other systems you're talking about here about a, a socio emotional system which adds another layer of not complexity but another layer of richness to to those connections yeah absolutely uh, the more and more and more in my um, work and kind of interest around uh, like sustainability and ecological um, regenerative work, I have 
continuously returned back to the emotional well-being and social well-being of a community as the building blocks that any kind of you know ecological stuff can stem from or you know it's incredibly difficult to give a shit about your plastic wrapped processed food from the other side of the world if you know i don't if my mental health is not well enough to uh enable me to care or you know enable me to feel what it's like to engage with that so yes social emotional well-being i think gets tied into everything and more and more and more i'm seeing how uh fundamental it is to have the well-being of those systems layered before looking or, or while looking looking at um ecological law or health systems bubble sprite of the forest of orakanui Dunedin's favorite goddess tahu mackenzie Kia ora koutou, nga mihi aroha nui kia koutou ko tahuaho. We hope you're all having a best day. Beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope that wherever you are and whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very nourishing, and is illuminating for you more and more each day who you are. A triumph of nature's art. Perfect, unique, and here making things better. Thank you. So I had a very exciting day, and of course I've been really looking forward to telling you all about it. I just love our five minutes together each day. Thank you so much. Really helps me to reframe and reconfigure my daily experience into a creative, inspirational wellspring of infinite possibility, of course, to then share with wonderful you so i'm so grateful and as you'll know i am back in my heart's home workplace orokanui eco sanctuary a site of great healing and restoration a site of great learning and inspiration and a site of great freedom and transformation so today we had the very very wonderful pleasure and privilege of hosting 104 beautiful, beautiful people who are students at Tainui School in years three and four. And not only these wonderful students, but their amazing teachers. And not only their amazing teachers who have been guiding their learning in the right direction. So they're tuning in more and more to the real world, the living world, the natural world, of which we're all a part. But also their wonderful whānau, the wonderful family and caregivers, many of whom were already very tuned in with the real world and we had a wonderful George Gecko scientist and a wonderful biodiversity ranger who has been, both of these parents have been doing work with the school so I'm so grateful for that and these beautiful classes are all named for our native birds, we had Ruma Tui and Ruma Kiwi and it was just wonderful so something that I really loved of course from today was really opening up the space for all of these beautiful people to share what they love and of course echoing back to them and reinforcing to them the power of their love to transform the world around them and of course Orokanoi is the ultimate backdrop for this and what I really found today is that 
the more space I created, the more op- opportunities I gave them to share what they really loved, the more it was just a very, very exciting and free and easy and spontaneous and creative interaction which we were able to have and I could just enjoy it and absorb it and recharge from it and we had a wonderful time today with Harvey coming along which is the first time that he's done that and he talked to one group about the bird feeders and how we design the bird feeders and that whole process because they are wanting to design bird feeders at school. I was looking after beautiful Waimaria the eel at the pond. Some of us got to feed her some steak, which was very nice. Beautiful Leslie. Sam's amazing wife was making beautiful poo bombs with clay and native seeds. And we had five other groups that were rotating around as well, so eight in total. It was very exciting. And something that was very special was that I get to do a lovely radio show with Jeff on ORFM every Thursday and I get to talk about what I'm up to and share a song. And of course today I was able to just completely hand over to Tainui School and they all spoke to Jeff and then they decided that they all wanted to sing a song. So it was so beautiful and we all joined our voices together to sing Te Aroha on the radio. So it was very, very beautiful and I just really loved it. So I'm so grateful that every single moment we have that opportunity to create space and invite those around us, whether human or from the more than human world, all our relations and whanau and other species and other clades to add their voices so that we can hear and appreciate the wisdom that they have to share and I'm so grateful of course that the more we do this the more we learn and the more we can make things better and I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow thanks so much Kakiti. we've seen lots of societal changes over the last few months what do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick Hmm. One of the nicest things for me was seeing how many people were out in my neighbourhood just talking with each other, you know, chatting over the fences and out by the litter box and that kind of slow community connection uh, something that's been really 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 beautiful and I'd love to see that continue It's interesting how that was the thing that we couldn't do was actually have contact with people yet we still found ways to do that and in fact did it even more that that contact with the community yeah. became even more important mm, Absolutely I think that for me I went from maybe having a lot of contact with a very wide community to having uh, maybe less but richer and more kind of intimate in a way contact with um, you know my very immediate uh, geographic community in my in my neighborhood and that they became so important and so present as well you're also working on a student leadership program yeah I am the thing that's getting me very excited at the moment and um, 
it's kind of all tied in with a lot of what we've been talking about around um, climate change responses and pandemic responses and um, general kind of social disruption and the opportunity that arises from that. Um, and the We're using the term student leadership at the moment because it's kind of a an idea that people can sort of grasp at least what we might be talking about. But leadership in this context is not necessarily or even kind of not really at all about um, management style leadership. It uh, doesn't have to be anyone who might be classically seen as a leader, but really it's defined as within this as, as someone who is doing interesting stuff, doing impactful work in their communities or in their fields of practice or whatever it might be. And uh, this program I've been offered the chance to facilitate is about recognizing who those people are within our student community and seeing what we can do to support them in whatever way they need. So it's really, really learner-centered. It's all about um, me just listening. Who are you? What are you all about? What do you need? What do you want? What are the kind of connections you might need out in the community? What are the sort of like opportunities in terms of volunteer or um, paid work kind of opportunities you might be looking for? Or what's who's like the mentor you need to be able to really challenge you in a, uh, the right way or ask you the right questions? Um, and yeah, I get to be the sort of connector person to tie all these things together. And uh, it's been really exciting actually how COVID has framed this. So this idea has been bubbling away for a couple of years now, but now it's really been recontextualized by the pandemic to be about how do we come together as a community to respond to this moment, knowing that we now have a shared story about what it's like to be destabilized, to be vulnerable to massive global systems of, of change and disruption. We have an idea of what it's kind of like to have to go through something we didn't choose. And that shared story, I think, gives us a amazing opportunity to come together and respond to this kind of moment in a way that, you know, a more sort of localized event um, doesn't often bring. When we go and talk to school guidance counselors, those sorts of people about the Bachelor of Leadership for Change, we and they ask who it's aimed for, and we say there's there's a there's someone in every class who is who's out there doing things, is out there having that sort of, of impact. That's who we that's who we're we're after for that. And it doesn't have to be, as you say, it's not a classical management it's not a euphemism for management. You, know, you came out of food design, Ashley Smith came out of nursing. How are you finding those people and how many are there? That's a really good question. The, uh, this process has been quite similar in concept and in um, scope or method maybe to uh, Leadership for Change. And uh, as you said, there's, you know, there's one of those people in every class, um, but it's identifying them can be challenging. And um, we're only just beginning to bring this first cohort together for this program. Um, and we decided this time to try to go for staff nominations to ask um, staff across the Polytech to help us identify who those students are. They know who are 
either already really engaged in their communities, whatever that means, or the students who are like, bursting with energy and passion to do something, but they don't have that outlet yet. Uh, and so we've tried to go out to staff, but it's actually been really difficult. Um, I think a big part of that challenge has been the fact that uh, the world is kind of melting and um, there's this whole thing called COVID uh, and a lot of people have a lot on their plates right now and especially teaching staff in uh, institutions like this are having to just think on their feet constantly and having all sorts of disruptions thrown at them. So getting the attention of staff for long enough to have a kind of ask a quite a quite a meaningful question like this um, has been really, really difficult. So we haven't had a huge response. And so we don't have a very large cohort, but at the moment we've got about 10 people and we're meeting for the first time tomorrow. Awesome. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have LA Mitchell with Our Mother is the Earth.
That is an incredible song. That is uh, off an album that was produced collaboratively by a whole different, uh, like a whole range of Aotearoa musicians. And uh, that particular song is, oh, sorry, the entire album is inspired by um, the works and writings of uh, Wethi Himaira. And there's some amazing stuff in the whole album, but that song in particular is just beautiful. Really, really love it. I really like the Dreams Swimmer. to sing it with some friends. I like the Dream Swimmer off that album because it's got Swimmer on it. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> I have some questions to end the show with. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? That's a big question. Do you want to put any kind of frame around that, Sam? Do you want to uh, frame it within professional boundaries or anything like that? You can have anything you like. All right. I'm going to go navigating the breakdown and dissolution of my uh, family through my parents' divorce after being together for about 30 years and figuring out how on earth to navigate a totally new family structure. That sounds like a, a useful thing to have done, not to have, have had happen, but to have achieved. Mm. Yeah, it's been incredible. One of the most challenging things I think I've ever been through, but um, my relationships with all my family are better than they've ever been. And uh, yeah, everyone is sort of more well than they've ever been. So I think we've done quite well, but it just looks very different. It's very confusing. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you're on our team. What is the superpower that's got you into our mansion? Oh, hmm. Ability to uh, like project uh, flavor sensations into people's brains or into people's experiences, wherever that comes through. We have to just like project delicious passion fruit explosions into people's into people's minds you you might not know how it'll come in useful but trust me when you're in the the uh, pinch of the moment you never know when passion fruit explosions will save the day some of these superpowers most people have a different superpower we've, we've there's, there's other than people that say things like empathy and caring which are, which are very strong superpowers. Most people have some something that's that's slightly different. I don't think we've had anything as left field as projecting food explosions. <laughs> but it makes good uh, sense. I reckon, yeah. Imagine like the the kind of like situation you can cool off and and get everyone to relax in when you can just like suddenly make them experience the most like nostalgic flavor profile they've ever known from their childhood you know when someone's incredibly angry and pissed off with you then you just bring back the flavor of cookies from the windowsill lemon meringue pie but not scrambled egg when we were little we were allowed one favorite food and one thing which we weren't forced to eat and the thing that i was i had on my not not eating was scrambled egg i still don't like scrambled egg i like (laughs) omelette scrambled egg not on my list. 
<laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> you're you're given given the two categories. I love it. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Oh, that's a good question. That's something that's been flaring up in my uh, review of learning of late. Uh, yep, that's still an identity that uh, I hold, but my understanding and my relationship to that identity has changed an awful lot, and my definition of activist has definitely changed an awful lot as well. Two? Uh, once upon a time, it was my identity of an activist was very much about, about front lines protesting kind of activism, um, primarily uh, environmental, ecological stuff in response to climate change. Uh, and then I started exploring what, you know, growing my own food and what that flavor of activism feels like, um, that kind of rebellion against the system of oppression. And so feeling into far more sort of subtle, less loud forms of activism has gotten me fired up of recent years. Does it feel activisty, creating and empowering leaders? Yep, absolutely. I uh, the, a lot of the work I do, it feels like it falls within my realm of activism. Um, funnily enough, and we'll see who listens to this from OP, but uh, one of the ways I've kind of thought about this whole program is that I have been given the opportunity to use all the resources and wealth of the Polytech to radicalise a new wave of uh, student activists. So we'll see. They might regret that. What motivates you? <laughs> what gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, right now it is all the little blossoms on the trees and the uh, spring of life. And, yeah, seeing things change, metamorphic processes and life and its life and death. Compost, basically. Compost philosophy is all you need. So what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so? I mean, this, this student leadership program that I'm facilitating is incredibly challenging to me on so many levels. Uh, it's got me very excited, um, but it is a learning edge in so many ways. So uh, just leaning into this, the challenge of showing up as a teacher, this kayako in this context, and... Um, yeah, having the kind of confidence, I suppose, to step into that role, um, facing imposter syndrome on that front. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Mm, pay attention to spring. Will do indeed. Moira. Um, I'm thinking that what's missing from my life is the opportunity to radicalise a generation of student activists. And I'm feeling really inspired to go and find a way to do that, actually, right now. That has to be the coolest thing there is to do in the world. <laughs> yeah, choice. Come on, Moeta. Come Watch on out. down. Watch out for Katani, I say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are going out to Rising Appalachia. 
Oh, death. That doesn't sound very positive, but they talk about positive things. Pomegranate sunsets. Illuminate every mm -hmm. horizon. Absolutely. I think our cultural fear and the faux pas of uh, talking about or being around death is something that's held us back for far too long. So why don't we just sing songs about it instead? Welcome death into our bedrooms. See what happens. Thank you very much for joining us. Yes, thanks, Sam. Kia ora, spaces around the world brought to you by the sustainable lens team which is brought to you by otago polytechnic we're broadcast on otago access radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz we had a contribution today from tahu mckenzie i'm samuel mann in sawyer's bay dunedin with mawira karatai in fakatani and we were joined by finn boyle from otago polytechnic in north dunedin we hope you enjoyed the show. Oh, death, how you're treating me. You close my eyes so I can't see. You're hurting my body. You make me cold. You run my life right out of my soul. Oh, death. Oh, death, won't you spare me over for another? Please, now is not.
physical proximity but rattling through my lungs oxygen regimented pain reminding me of purpose as I hurl myself unflinching unblinking in the glow of luminescent tomorrows without you I have been speaking with the dead she who was reluctant to reveal my amputated dreams but keeps me in her good graces and because I love her I have to tell her there are those who would defame Sprinkling disreputable memories in the well waters of your goodness, those discontents roaming aimlessly, shattering voices unheard. She speaks to me in dreams. Her melancholic whispers prevent my fevered reconsiderations. She knows. She showed me my future, became my past in what seemed like the same breath. And in my remembrance, I explode backwards. My rarely punctuated heartbeat runs on, sentencing me daily to begin again without her. But those lingering pomegranate sunsets ready me for her meticulous inspection. We see the same stars. And I will continue building this legacy we started together. Grateful that she armed me with conviction and my condemnation will not falter in her absence. I will illuminate every horizon revealed to me because I'm not angry anymore. My insomniatic refusals to continue conversations we started when she was in the flesh no longer call for my rancor. Though there are days when her presence is skin I've never shed. There are days when the rustling of leaves resembles her laughter and I spin on my heels seeking her face in the barks of dead trees. There are days when I miss her like teeth, but I promise I'm not angry anymore. Cause I know she would have given her life to be here and I am here eagerly awaiting the blanket of stars she'll cover me with so that when slumber finally takes me, she and I, we will continue this conversation. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.